Open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, verse 6 here, which is a very instrumental verse uh, in the life of people of faith on a day that we're talking about trust and on a day that we're exhibiting our trust. If you haven't been with us, over the last four weeks, we've been looking at what it means to invest in the return of Christ. Our return to Him, our return of our, our praise and worship to Him, until He returns for all of us, there are so many that we can invite to return to Christ. And this is what we've been talking about and looking at. In week one, we went to John chapter 21. Jesus met Peter on a beach after Peter's great failure. And he asked him the core question of discipleship, do you love me? Peter's response was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then if you love me, serve other people. Peter, stop making it about you. Make it about other people. In week two, we looked at the authority and power of the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. And then he told him to go make disciples. And the key verb is disciple making. And you do that by going, baptizing, and teaching. We just saw Ethan make that profession of faith and enter into a life with God by his choice. And Jesus said it's by my authority that he taught us that if we go in his authority, that he will be there with us when we're faithful. He'll, he'll be with us through everything. Go, and I will be with you always. In week three, we talked about what it means to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, found in Proverbs chapter three. We talked about what a life of trust looks like, how it, it lowers the world's standards of excellence to a standard that is holy and a standard that is good and pleasing to everybody involved. Last week, we talked about the life that Jesus requires, a life that's out of control and sometimes uncomfortable. That to live by faith and to make a true sacrifice means that we give up security to place ourselves in a greater security with God. Today, I want to simply use the teachings of Jesus. If, if you are visiting, and I, and I want you to be comfortable here today, this is about Jesus, it's not about us. Uh, we finished an 86-week series through the teachings of Christ. And the only reason I bring that up is we have been inundated over and over in the last two years with what Jesus taught, key significant truths that he relayed to us. And we're going to echo some of his words today to look at what Jesus identified for us is the challenge of our hearts. It's the challenge of who we are and, and where we need to go. But Hebrews eleven six is the key verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want you to look at that verse with me for just a moment. They believe that he exists, first premise, that we believe there is a God. The scriptures say the fool says there is no God. Every culture throughout the world has a God. Every culture worships. Even those cultures that are in the darkest parts of the world, uneducated, untrained, they all worship a God because it's laid in our hearts that they're this was not created by accident. It was created by a, a greater force. So we all believe that there's a God, but the second part is the difference maker in our lives. Do we believe in a God who rewards those who earnestly seek him? Do we believe in an interactive, responsive God? Because if we do, then we'll believe that a disciple should be interactive and responsive to God. If we're going to be like our father, then we should respond like he responds with trusting love and service. What Jesus did in his teachings was he created moments 
where he highlighted what a good, following, responsive life looks like. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw you four pictures of the kind of people in the world. The first two are somewhat negative, and I apologize for that in advance, but it's important that we teach the whole counsel of the Lord as Jesus displayed for us the kind of people we are when it comes to being generous in our faith and believing in a rewarding God. The first one is a life which does little with a lot. Jesus showed us glimpses of people who have been given great blessing and do very little with it. Uh, the example is found in Luke chapter 12. Uh, Jesus told him a parable. He illustrated the kind of person who struggles with living by trusting faith. The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. There's a couple of interesting points, and with each of these illustrations that Jesus uses, we're going to make some observations this morning. First observation is this. Success and opportunities reveal our trust. The opportunity that God gives you to grow and to have success in life is all based on opportunities. And those opportunities, whether we seize them or not, reveals our, <clears throat> excuse me, our trust in him. It's said that the land of a certain rich man was very productive. I want you to notice, it's not a curse to be wealthy. It's not a flaw. Jesus said, be careful of wealth. It can replace God because it becomes your security. But there's nothing wrong with the blessing. It's the opportunity that the blessing comes that reveals our trust. Uh, as I've studied uh, extensively these last two years, being able to focus on the Gospels, I'm very blessed and pleased with that. But, but I want to show you that Jesus never calls me to be successful. He doesn't call me to be powerful. He calls me to be faithful. And to be faithful means I take the opportunities he gives me. I don't whine about opportunities I don't have. And I don't ignore the opportunities I have. To be found faithful scripturally is to seize the opportunities because I trust that God can be receiving glory through them. Notice that in Jesus' parable, the emphasis on the personal pronouns, mine, I, me. Jesus is pointing out that for many of us who have many blessings, we become selfish with them, focusing on ourselves. And see, what do we do with those opportunities is seldom neutral. If you look at verse 20, what does God call the man? He calls him a fool. You see, this man had built barns big enough. He built a barn big enough that if he could fill the barn, he would have enough resources for his farm and he'd have enough resources for his family. But when he gets this abundant surplus of crops, instead of going, I have enough for myself and my family, I'm going to take the rest of it and be a blessing, he doesn't do that. He chooses to say, I'm going to build a bigger barn so I make sure, because notice what Jesus says in the story. He had enough for years on years on years, but that wasn't enough because he became worried about himself and not thinking about others. And God calls the man who spends the opportunities that God gives him simply on himself, God calls that person a fool. The next thing I notice is that God's blessings will always require an accounting. This might be scary to you, but I want it to be an encouragement. I want you to understand. Accountability reigns in the kingdom of heaven. Everything we do is either an act of worship or an act of, of ignoring God. And 
God says in verse 20 to him in this story, your very soul is required of you. Each one of us will stand before God, and he's not going to say, how successful were you? He's going to say to every single one of us, what did you do with the opportunities I blessed you with? Your time, your treasure, your talents, your relationships, those doors of opportunity all around you. What did you do with those opportunities? How did you enter into them and through them? Because that is what our souls are created to account for. What makes it difficult for a person who has a lot to be generous and to think outside of themselves? Well, the first sense is a false sense of control. Satan likes to get us, and this world likes to reward us for thinking we're in control when it's only temporary. Knowing that none of us will take a single thing with us to heaven when we die except the soul of another person we introduce to Christ. Which should have greater value, the things of the earth that remain or the things that can never be taken from us? The challenge of Scripture is clear. If you're trying to control the opportunities you have, it's only temporary at best. You may control them for a while, but you won't control them for long. And then the next thing that makes people that are very blessed to be generous, one of the difficulties they have is a fear of God not being generous in return. That all of a sudden God's going to close it up and say that you were foolish. I gave you enough because I'll never honor you again. You should have collected it, saved it, and stored it. I don't believe that that's biblical at any, any level. There was a minister who was trying to raise money for choir robes. And so he decided he was going to ask the congregation for people to stand up if they would give $100 to buy a new choir robe. It was a big thing in their church. So he said to the organist, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask for this. And I want, you to, I want to give them a moment to think about it. But when I say go, I want you to play a song that will inspire them to respond. The organist looked at him and said, got it. She was ready. Preacher preached a sermon. He presented the need for the choir robes. They're $100 a piece. He, he needed them. He, he said, if you're willing to give $100 for a choir robe, would you stand? He looked at the organist, he nodded, and she played the national anthem, and $3,000 was raised. <laughs> I have to tell you, the band didn't get the joke after first hour. So I'm glad you did. And they just heard me say that. Okay, so, what we're not doing here, church, is we're not playing you. This isn't fundraising. This is about whether or not we trust that the doors God's put in front of us are worth going through. And what you're being challenged to do, just like my family's being challenged to do, is are we willing to say no to ourselves and take an opportunity that's in front of us? Jesus gives us another example, and this is a life which does little with a little. The first person was a person who had a lot available to him and did very little with it. What about the people who have a very little who do very little? Most of us would say, well, that's reasonable. It's not reasonable when it comes to trust. Jesus says this way in Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven is also like what happened when a man went away and put his three servants in charge of all he owned. The man knew what each servant could do, so he handed 5,000 coins to the first, 2,000 to the second, 1,000 to the third, then he left the country. But the servant with 1,000 coins dug a hole and hid his master's money in the ground. Sometime later, the master of those servants returned. He called them in and asked them what they had done with his money. The servant who had been given 1,000 coins then came in and said, Sir, I know that you are hard to get along with. You harvest where you don't plant and gather crops where you haven't scattered seed. Do you catch what he said there? I don't don't trust you. Uh, He said, I was frightened and I went out and I hid your money in the ground. Here is your every single coin. The master of the servant told him, You are lazy and good for nothing. You know that I uh, I harvest where I don't plant and gather crops where I haven't scattered seed. 
you could have at least put my money in the bank so that I could have earned interest on it. Then the master said, now your money will be taken away and given to the servant with 10,000 coins. This man's premise was, you didn't give me very much and I didn't do anything with it. Leave me alone. Just leave me alone. You got back what was yours. Observations. God has given each of us specific opportunities. He gave each according to their own ability. I want to burst a bubble that is very much Western culture. And I live in it. And Sometimes it's hard to poke my head above, above the, the noise to listen to the word of God. But I hear it regularly. It's important for us to understand that unequal does not mean unfair. Shake your head if that makes sense. See, if you grew up in the house I did with three brothers, four boys, unequal was always unfair. He got a bigger piece of pie. He got to stay up later and watch that television show. He got this. He got that. He got that. I could track how unfair my life has been. But that biblically carries no weight. Unequal does not mean unfair. Here's the truth. God can do with his stuff whatever he wants, and he's always right. Now, you may say, well, that seems unfair. Is God unfair or that you don't have something is unfair? God gives opportunities to each one of us. Now, notice, everybody has an opportunity. They're just not always equal. And in God's economy, that's okay. The second observation is the choices of today affect tomorrow's realities. I know I've mentioned this several times during the message series because it's very important for me to recall that the decisions I make today invariably affect the next coming days. Remember our statement has been, we sit in the shade of God's blessing because a generation ahead of us planted trees. The decisions we make today are going to change histories as we trust the Lord. But it also... There's a warning to it. Notice that it says, take the talent from him. This person was given 1,000 things to invest in the kingdom, and he chose to do none of it. He buried it so that his hands were somehow clean, and he was punished, and he lost the blessing and opportunity. Jesus said it this way, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous riches, who will entrust the true riches to you? Jesus wants us to know that every opportunity matters. That's why God gave it to us. It matters in giving him praise and glory, and it matters in being trusting and learning to grow in trust. Because this person with the thousand coins or talents, if you will, he didn't know his master's heart. He accused his master of not being trustworthy. And the reason he couldn't trust was he forgot who had asked him to. So then Jesus gives us. Now, I want you to see these four quadrants. The person who has a lot and does a little with it. The person who has a very little and does a little with it. Now, Jesus gives us images of two more positive means. Uh, How about a life which does much with a lot? This is the person who has great blessings and opportunities and uses them all, seizes the moment. Jesus explained it this way in his parable. Sometime later, the master of those servants returned. He called them in and asked them what they had done with his money. The servant who had been given 5,000 coins brought them in with the 5,000 that he had earned. And he said, sir, you gave me 5,000 coins and I have earned 5,000 more. Wonderful, the master replied. You are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I will put you in charge of much more. Come and share in my happiness. Next, the servant who had been given the 2,000 coins came in and said, Sir, you gave me 2,000 coins, and I have earned 2,000 more. 
Wonderful, the master replied. You are a good and faithful servant. I left you in charge of only a little, but now I'll put you in charge of much more. Come and share, read this with me, church, in my what? Notice where God's joy comes from. When his trust is rewarded with the return of our trust. This is where Jesus says there's great happiness. And I want to pause here for a moment because if your mind is going, well, oh, look, he's using all these illustrations about money. No, I'm using illustrations about heart. Illustrations about what matters to us. Because God doesn't want what's in your wallet till he owns the hands and minds that reach for the wallet. Because when he possesses your entire being in lordship, he can direct you. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will straighten your path. God wants you, not your money. See, our observation is God's blessings are not based on our agreement, but on our engagement. See, he, he wants our hearts to direct our minds, not our minds to add it up. You see, he said, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. God wants us to trust him like he's trusted us. And then Jesus gives us, here's our quadrant, had a lot and did a little, had a little and did very little, had a lot and did a lot. One of my favorite stories is the fourth window into people's condition. A life which does a lot with a little. This is found in John chapter 6. It's one of my favorite stories of interaction that Jesus ever had with his disciples. When Jesus saw the large crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we get food enough to feed all these people? There were 5,000 men in the audience that day, not even counting their wives and children. He said this to test Philip since he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered, don't you know that it would take almost a year's wages just to buy only a little bread for each of these people? Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the disciples. He spoke up and said, There is a boy here who has five small loaves of barley bread and two fish. But what good is that with all these people? Jesus took the bread in his hands. He gave thanks to God. Then he passed the bread to the people, and he did the same with the fish until everyone had plenty to eat. My observation about this story and why it's one of my favorites is this. An opportunity seized is a generous act blessed by Jesus. Let me say that again. An opportunity when seized is a generous act of trust that Jesus can bless. See, notice that Andrew says, there's a lad here who has. There's a boy. Now, let me ask you a question. If you know you're going to (laughs) go, let's just be honest. If you know you're going to go hear a preacher preach, do you think it's going to be a short time you're there? Church, come on, God's watching. Of course not. We all talk too long, right? Well, this little boy got up one day and said he was going to go hear this traveling, traveling rabbi teach. Do you think his mother said, well, honey, here, take some food for lunch. Just be back before it's dark. That seems reasonable, right? Was he the only one in the crowd who thought to bring food that day? I say no. I say when Andrew stood up and said, is there any food to be shared, that a bunch of people sat on their coolers. That a bunch of people stuck the hoagie inside their wrap, you know what I mean? And they went, oh, good. Because here's what they thought. Well, it's not going to help to give what I have. I'm just going to keep what I have for me. But one little boy said, here, I got a couple of fish and some bagels. And Andrew asks a great question, verse 9. But what are these small things for so many people? And the answer is, they're nothing. They're insignificant. 
they're really not going to change anything unless Jesus gets his hands on them. And when Jesus gets his hand on a little brown sack lunch, he not only feeds 5,000 people, but he leaves 12 baskets of leftovers so that the disciples who were thinking it doesn't matter looked at the 12 baskets and went, whoa, he can turn a sack lunch into an abundance. For some of us, you've told yourself, I don't have very much talent to offer. I don't have very much time to give. I don't have very much church background. I don't have very much money. I don't have very much fill in the blank. And I'm asking you, do you have a sack lunch Jesus can turn to feed a multitude? Every single one of us has that opportunity. It's the opportunity in front of us. Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. The author of Hebrews has been telling us that if we believe God exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him, if you will give your life to him, not your time, not your cash, not any of it, if you will say, this represents my treasures, my life, if you will step out and take that little sack lunch, which is just enough for you, and you will offer it to the king, I promise you he will feed nations because he said he would. And the author of Hebrews says, he will not forget the little boy. Notice that he's nameless. No one ever said, well, a little boy from such and such a town. Every time you read a person in the Bible, son of so-and-so, uh, son of, and name the mother, the town they were from, this little boy's never mentioned. He just ate lunch and went home, and he had no idea that we would still be talking about him 2,000 years later. Why? Because when Jesus gets a hold of our life, our name's not important, our gifts are. He'll change family histories. What makes a person with little have the ability to give a lot? Well, in the parable of the talents, they knew God well. They knew the, the master. They went and invested it, and they came back, and they said, you gave me 5,000, and here's 10. And you gave me 2,000, and here's four. And the master went, I love it. Thank you for trusting that the opportunity I gave you could be rewarded. And then the little boy, he just knew who Jesus was. And he gave up his comfortable lunch to watch Jesus do a miracle that we still talk about today. What does it take for us to do that? Well, you're, you're one of the four in the story, as, as am I. I either have a bunch and I'm not doing much, or I have a little and I'm not doing much, or I, I have a very little and I'm trying to do a whole lot, or I have a whole bunch and I want to do a whole lot. You get to pick. You say, and where you were when you walked in the room today doesn't have to be where you end up. You get to trust. You see, because it really is about whether or not we step one step closer to God in faith and stand on the edge and say, if I step any further, I can't control what happens to me. I ask you the question, is the God on, on the platform, is he the same God who will catch you when you step? I'm going to tell you, I think he is. I think in your worst moment, God's proven to you who he is. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing in just a moment. And those of you that have prepared your commitments as an act of worship, if you read the Old Testament, you never would have gone into a place of worship without bringing an offering to the king to make an offering to your God. So in just a moment, we're going to ask you to, if you have filled in your cards, there are two tables right up here in the main worship center, two tables right up here on the corners of the stage. There are two tables back by the camera wells. 
and there are two tables in the back by the back wall. Now, if you're in the SMC over across the parking lot, there's a table up front and a table in the back of the room. We're going to ask you to take the card, and with the totals that you've put down, we want you to put it in face down. We don't want anybody to know what you gave, because this isn't about us. This is about the king. Now, those of you that have come in early and capped the end aisle, because that's your seat, you're going to move a lot today. And if people ask you to move, please be generous and step out, because for the next three songs, when you're ready, we would ask you to come as families and uh, to place your card in one of the treasure boxes that's located down the center aisles here and at the front and back at the student center. And we would ask you as an act of worship to participate. And if you didn't come prepared today, there's time in the future. There's no cameras rolling who did what. But if, if you're excited as I am to see what God might do to open some of these doors, then this morning as we stand in worship, as we sing about the king we trust, as we pledge our trust in some of the scariest parts of our life to step off and see if he'll catch us, as we worship, Bring your gifts to the glory of our God. Let's stand together.